What is up, everybody? Welcome, 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 welcome to this post-NFL draft, draft season edition. This is episode 21 of the season, of season six. Uh, I am joined, as always, by the four horsemen of TOJ's draft season coverage. I am Diego Osorio, Michael Megan, James Coons, Joe Bellick. Joe, I will start with you because you were missed when Meigs and I were drinking some tequila last last Thursday. How are you feeling now? Uh, two two to three days after the after the NFL draft is done. I'm feeling good, yeah. I'm feeling optimistic, man. Excited for the season to come. It's a good feeling. It's a good feeling, right? Uh, we could be Jaguars fans where, you know, we're worrying about what health scare is going to drive Urban Meyer away. James, how are you feeling, man, three days after the draft? Super excited. Just wrapped up watching all the Robert Sala phone calls for the 20th time, and uh, it's got me all hyped up for this pod. Yeah, I think I think I need Robert Dalla to just walk around behind me with a boombox, just welcoming me into into wherever I walk into. I think that'd be really exciting. Meigs, my, my my main man, my partner in crime. How you feeling, man? Good, good. Excited for the draft. I mean, Bob Sala just watching him in a suit is always so funny because his muscles just look like it's gonna rip it in half, like it like, like Miles Garrett was, <laughs> and it was just so funny seeing him dressed up. I, I loved it because because you saw him he was he was real like you saw the progression right like he was he was in his suit and then suddenly the top button was off and the two buttons were off and listen man like that's real Bradley Cooper hangoverish like you knew it was time you know and then then the, the, by day three it was like listen man you gonna catch me in some jeans and, and some athletic wear you're not really gonna catch me dressed up um, so we we wanted to kick it with you guys this week just to recap the Jets draft give you guys our thoughts um, and slowly 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 begin a pivot to 2022 where the jets will be armed with 11 more picks next year uh and so but first let's jump let's jump right in guys uh zach wilson as everybody assumed uh was the case as soon as the eagles made their trade back um and as soon as the niners traded up Zach Wilson, the quarterback in the New York Jets, he gets taken at two overall, uh, arrives with, uh, you know, his entourage in tow. There was a really funny gif about he was surrounded by Bama players who were throwing up gang signs, and he looked very, very uncomfortable. <laughs> but, James, I'm going to go to you first, man. Uh, how did you feel seeing the baby-faced assassin finally get his name called? And, you know, now begins the work of him becoming the Jets franchise quarterback. It was good. I enjoyed it. I mean, obviously, like, it wasn't my first preference, but, like, you know, it, it's been kind of in stone for a few months now. So, you know, it's all about how we make the most of this decision. Yeah, agreed. And I think I think Joe Douglas, and we'll get to this after we talk about Wilson, but Joe Douglas clearly agreed with that, right? Uh, and he, I think he made it his point with his first, the, with the first three picks after Wilson to really surround him with some talent. Joe, we know Wilson was your quarterback 27 in this NFL draft. <laughs> um, but we know you had some questions about, about him, but uh, he's now the quarterback. And one of the things that you kept saying, even during the 19 previous episodes of this was, it's not even going to be so much about the quarterback as much as just what you put around him. Uh, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to go to you first for pick. What ended up being pick 14 as the Jets traded up, they trade up for, Aloe Vera Tucker, that's what I'm going to call him because he just soothes everything out. Um, how do you feel about him being the guy that pairs with Makai Becton to protect, uh, to protect Zach Wilson? I, you know, there's a lot of debate as to whether or not this was a good trade. I think uh, as far as that particular debate goes, I think that there could be two winners when we're talking about that trade with the Vikings, right? It doesn't have to be that one guy won that trade. But if we're going to give the edge to somebody right now, I think you probably have to give it to the Vikings just because they probably got a guy at 23 they would take at pick 14 in Christian Darrisaw. 
and they got two extra third round picks in front of them. But when I look at it from Joe Douglas, Joe Douglas's perspective, looking at this draft, sitting at 23 and seeing like a murderer's row of teams that want offensive linemen in front of them, I actually respect the fact that he decided to use some of that draft capital as a weapon to target a player he wants at a position of desperate need. So I love that pick. Now, there are a lot of people who are still going to debate whether or not and they're going to be talking about Elijah Bear Tucker compared to Christian Darrisel and things of that nature. And one of our, our listeners actually asked me right after the selection, he says, it was Patrick Sullivan, one of our avid guys, who said, would you have preferred Darrisel? This is pretty much what I said to him. I said, I have the neck and neck, but I think ABT is the safer pick. Darrisel would be drafted to play a different position, and that transition would probably cause more growing pains than I'm comfortable with. ABT can come in and start at his natural position right away. So Elijah Vera Tucker, I know Meigs even mentioned this, is a plug-and-play guy at left guard. He's going to come in. There aren't going to be a lot of hiccups with that, as opposed to, say, Christian Darrisaw, who I absolutely believe can play a different position and make the transition. But there are going to be a little bit more of those growing pains. So I think for the Jets, the perfect fit was Elijah Vera Tucker. And for the Vikings, the perfect fit was for Christian Darrisaw. And I think they were just lucky enough to get him at 23 and probably only fell because of some injury concerns that we found out late. Now, everybody's saying, well, you know, the Jets could have got him at 23 too. We, we don't know that. We don't know that for a fact, right? I think that if the Jets didn't make the, the trade with the Vikings, that they could have realistically even taken him at 14. So I think that we got to maybe put that particular debate to rest because there's a lot of unknowns there. So in the end, I love ABT. You, I, I, I know we, I talked about this uh, on the live. Trevor Sycamore of the, of the Draft Network posted going live now with Mekai Becton and Elijah Vera Tucker, and he posted a picture of two bulldozers. And that's exactly what the Jets now have on the left side of the line. I will also say that I think, and because I, I, I think to put a kaput on this whole, well, you could have gotten, because a lot of Jet fans have also said, not only could you have taken Darisaw at 23, but you could have gotten ABT at 23. I think ABT would have been gone to the Giants at 20. I, 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 don't, I don't think he would have made it past there because you're talking about a team that jettisoned their, their best interior offensive line. James, I want to bring you in before I go to Meigs. Uh, because I, you, you had some real interesting thoughts about the trade, just in terms of from a value standpoint. I, I want you to touch on that. I mean, I thought that the so looking at the trade, um, you have to look at it in terms of the actual terms and then the player. I think in terms of the you know actual terms of the trade, it was mediocre, the poor in terms of value. I mean, the Jets gave up in draft capital more than they got back. Um, but looking at the player, I think it was the ideal selection. Um, and it's also at the position of need. Um, and so I think like overall, it's it's an okay trade. It's an okay pick. Like if I were grading it, I would probably give it a B plus because even though we gave up a decent amount of capital, we got a good player. Um, so I just want to sort of bring in that to the fold. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. I think one of the things, and I, you know, I said this before the draft, before our episode, before the draft, I said that I do think, I think, I think, I think AVT has you know, all pro potential. But I think what I think what gets lost in that is this assumption that potential means you're automatically going to be that right. Like he, he may not reach that potential, right? Like he may just be a top 15 guard in this league, which is honestly probably better than what the Jets have had in the last 10 years at guard realistically, right. Um, And I think folks, I think folks should, I think you should understand that on this offensive line, right, you have a Makai Becton who hasn't shown that he can stay healthy yet. You now have a rookie at left guard, you have a Connor McGovern who should be better, right? We don't know who's going to start at right guard. It might, you know, might be UDFA from, from BYU. It might be Cam Clark. We don't know what that's going to look like. And then you have George Fant. So this unit is going to have to gel, and they're going to have to gel pretty quickly for a rookie quarterback. Meigs, looking at, looking at uh, 
uh, Zach Wilson and Elijah Vera Tucker. If I had told you before the draft that those would be the first two picks, I think you and I would have been drunk much sooner on Thursday than than than, than possible. What did you think of the of Douglas going up and essentially turning Jamal Adams into Elijah Vera Tucker, which I think is huge. Um, I think it was a solid move. Um, I don't mind people saying in their process they wouldn't trade two day two picks for a guard because they don't view it as a premium position. And people are now trying to do the, would you rather have Darisaw, Wyatt Davis, an X player, because we wouldn't have taken Kellen Mond at 66. And would you want that more than AVT? And for me, I, honestly, if you ask me that question, I wouldn't I'd rather have those three players. I'd rather have Elijah Vera Tucker because Darisaw is a left tackle. He will never play left tackle here because we have Mekhi Becton. And I don't think Wyatt Davis can play in this scheme and pick 66. Like people miss on third rounders all the time. Honestly, we took Ashton Davis and Jabari Zuniga in similar slots last year, and we all have questions if they're going to be starters for this team. So I really like that Joe Douglas looked at what Mike McCagnan did, who traded up for Sam Darnold, and he decided what this quarterback needs is a 26-year-old defensive tackle from Canada. Joe Douglas took his quarterback at two and says, what does this quarterback need? And he took a guy who has the potential to be, I don't think he could be a Quinn Nelson-level guard, but the guy you see in Green Bay, Elton Jenkins, I think Vire Tucker has potential to be that, and that's a plus-plus player. So I really like him being aggressive, and he, he made it known. If Zach Wilson fails, it's not because I didn't get him enough help. Exactly, and I love Elton Jenkins. I, I, I think I do think that – I mean, if he turns out even to be Elton Jenkins, you're talking about a guy who's – I mean, at worst, it's, at worst he's the 10th best guard in the, in, in the league at worst. Uh, Joe, you, uh, I wanted to bring you in to get your thoughts on the, on the trade-up just to, so we can put a bow on it. I don't think anybody really has talked a lot about this, but I think this move up is really a ripple effect of them losing out on Joe Tooney. And I am curious, like what this draft would have potentially looked like if we did sign Joe Tooney, because I don't think that they're actually moving up to get this guy if they got him. I think the entire draft would look completely different. So I think that that's something that definitely is weighing on my mind, wondering if Joe Douglas, and it was out of his control. Listen, Joe Tooney went to a better situation, but if he was actually able to land Joe Tooney, what now this Jets offensive line and just the offense in general could have potentially looked like. So that's the one thing about it that kind of bothers me a little bit. But I will say this about ABT again. ABT is not only the safest pick and the best pick for the, the Jets. He's probably the safest pick as far as offensive line goes in the entire draft. Sewell didn't play last year. Slater didn't play last year. Darisol apparently now has some health concerns. This guy's going to come in from day one and do his thing. And I think Jets fans should just be excited because Joe Douglas is doing exactly what he needs to do to support his young quarterback. And that was going up to get this guy. Yeah. And I do wonder to, to, to end on that point. I do wonder had the Jets signed Joe Tooney. Part of me thinks that I could still see Joe Douglas going up and getting Elijah Vera Tucker. And then imagine that offensive line for, for, for Zach Wilson, right? Where you go Makai Becton, AVT, McGovern, Tooney, and Fant. That's a really good offensive line for Zach Wilson. Uh, let's go right to pick 34 where the Jets surprised, a lot of people, I will say, uh, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people, uh, including myself, and I'll tell you this, when we were driving back, uh, one of the guys that I was with wanted to place a bet on Tevin Jenkins being the pick at 34, because at that point, like, we had kind of heard that it was most likely to be, that was the pick. There were really astronomical odds for it to be Eliza Moore at that point. And I really thought, I was like, man, if I put like 10 bucks on this, I could probably put my daughter through college in, in 16, 17 years, because we did not think it was going to be Elijah Moore. Wide receiver five for me, 
uh, route running solid, solid hands. Uh, no matter what anybody says, nobody was talking about him having poor route running or poor hands. That wasn't a thing that was talked about. Um, I don't know what folks are reading where it says that uh, Elijah Moore was, I mean, when you're talking about wide receivers and you're talking about safe prospects, right? I think you have Jamar Chase, who's, I think Jamar Chase is safe as a wide receiver. And I do think Elijah Moore, I think, I think you can bank on him being at the very worst an above average slot receiver in the NFL at the very worst, because I, I think his hands are solid. His route running is solid. Um, and I think that, I think we have to be absolutely, uh, I think we have to heap some praise on Joe Douglas for seeing the way the board broke. He could have doubled down on offensive linemen and he takes a wide receiver. Meigs, Elijah Moore was also your wide receiver five. Same as me. How, how stoked were you when he was announced as the pick at 34? Honestly, like I didn't, I couldn't believe it. When they, when I remember, because like all the beat reporters were tweeting, like, oh, offense again or offense. And I wouldn't say the pick was at first. And I was like, oh, yeah, they took a lineman. Good. Like, okay. And then I saw it was Elijah Moore. And after thinking a day that they were just trading out to recoup the picks back, never did I think that this was possible. And I'm just so excited. I don't think Elijah Moore is just a slot receiver. I think he's someone who can play on the outside. I wouldn't stick him out there permanently. But when you have Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, and Elijah Moore, and just thinking about having Denzel Mims drop into the slot, Elijah Moore going outside, and all of them switching roles and being so versatile, for a first-time play caller with Michael Floor, he's got a lot to work with. And I think that's what's kind of got lost to a lot of people is we have a rookie quarterback. We have to surround him with all – this talent. We have a rookie play caller who hasn't hasn't have a history of developing certain players, getting the most out of guys who are not premium picks or not like high end talents. And I really like that Robert Sallow wasn't pushing to go for defense because he like he like he had in San Francisco, and he believes that he can develop the younger guys, and he wants to give the more experienced coach the more talent. And I think that shows what a kind of coach Robert Sallow will be. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. I think I also want to talk about his run blocking because Elijah Moore is not a guy that's afraid to put you on your ass, right? And I think when you have him, Denzel Mims and Corey Davis, and as much as you're going to run the ball with the guy that they took in the fourth round, who we all, who I will say right now, I think he starts week one. I think he's the, he's their most he is their most talented running back. Um, but we'll get to that in a second. James, I want to go to you before I go to Joe about Elijah Moore because I think. You had said, I think you had, you had said in the in the draft season Slack, you said, you know, I really hate that I have to be the one to tear him down because I really like Elijah Moore. <laughs> um, but you, 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 I think you nailed it in your reaction. You, I think your words were like, you know, F yeah, you know, <laughs> like we took a receiver. Um, what were, what are your thoughts on how Elijah Moore fits with Zach Wilson uh, going into 2022, but also going, going into 2021, 2022, and also going forward? Because I think you're talking about a guy that's going to develop with Zach Wilson. It's going to be Elijah Moore. Yeah, 100%. Um, so I like to pick initially a lot more than I expected to. And I feel like there are a few like rationalizations occurring here. Um, I think the primary one is I know that this offense is one that uses a lot of tight ends. But when you look at the personnel packages that the Jets can or the formations rather that the Jets can use or with the 49ers offense, like I've looked through that Falcons Kyle Shanahan playbook and there isn't really a need to put receivers on the boundary. They use a lot of bunch, a lot of trips, a lot of like cluster. They find ways to get receivers, you know, into the field without putting them on the boundary. And, and since there will inevitably and inevitably be some receivers on the boundary, you can put Denzel Mims there and you can put Corey Davis there. So I'm not concerned about him having his impact mitigated at, you know, to some extent by uh, his deployment. And I guess the other thing is I checked out this dude's Instagram and I'm watching this IGTV video of him like talking to a team 
about how like he's so driven to be the best receiver in the league. Like every morning he wakes up and his screensaver is like, it doesn't matter what the boards say, you will be the best receiver in the NFL. And he's just telling him how like people are more talented than him, but he's going to outwork everybody. And so I was like, okay, dude, like obviously that's something you can't evaluate from our perspective because we don't know him. We don't interview him. But when you hear those things, those are, that's what makes a successful player. So overall, I'm super optimistic. Yeah. And, and, and going back to the, to the Super Bowl champion Falcons, right? In that year, uh, folks forget Mohamed Sanu had 80 targets. Taylor Gabriel had 50, right? And Julio Jones had 130. But again, there is no Julio Jones in this offense, right? So you're talking about there's going to be a lot of targets to move around. Um, and I, I agree. I think you saw, you saw them use Julio Jones as kind of a big slot, right? Where he was the middle guy in, in trips, right? To try to get him singled up because Julio Jones is such a mismatch nightmare against anybody. Um, so I, I agree. I think it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, Joe, Elijah Moore, I know, I know this was where you thought, man, you said, man, maybe we double up on O-line, trade back. I know we all talked, we all thought that. We all thought they were going to absolutely trade back. Um, what do you think about Elijah Moore here at 34? Good value for you? Would, do you wish they would have gone offensive lineman to double up on O-line? What are your thoughts? No, I absolutely love this pick. And it's just really kind of amazing that on episode of one of draft season, we had a sweeper pick and both me and James picked Elijah Moore. And here we are coming full circle to have Elijah Moore be the pick for the New York Jets. It's almost like we had a prescience about this thing. We had a feeling that he was going to be in, a, in the green and white uniform. And I thought that that was absolutely amazing because we were kind of ahead of the game when it came to Elijah Moore. Like we liked him before anybody was even talking about him. So I do, I love him. He's a multifaceted guy. He's going to be great in this yak game. He's like a home run hitter. But I think the one thing that he can do that maybe a lot of people aren't talking about enough is, is that he could kind of play that Debo Samuel role. So what is a Debo Samuel role? What does that exactly mean? All it means is like a running back wide receiver hybrid. So some guy who you could use obviously as a wide receiver, but you could line him up in the backfield. We could also run him on these jet sweeps that the 49ers love to do. And that adds a complete different element to the offense. Gets these guys in the second level hesitating and just not knowing exactly where the ball is going to go. It just adds a wrinkle to the offense that the Jets didn't have before they drafted Elijah Moore. It's one of the reasons why I actually mocked Amari Rodgers to them in the third round in my final mock. And wouldn't you know it, Mike's brother, Matt, drafted him for the, for the Packers for the exact same reason, to do that, to add that little extra wrinkle, to get that jet sweep going that wasn't really present with the Packers offense last year. So I think Jets fans should be ecstatic. He's going to do stuff for this offense that I don't think people even realize like that's going to happen. We're going to be, there are going to be a lot of Elijah Moore jerseys in, in the stands in, in a year or even sooner because this guy is electric. Love this pick. Absolutely. Me, let's go right to running back for you. Michael Carter. One, I'm going to call him because I don't like the other Carter. <laughs> Tell me what you think about Michael Carter in this offense. I mean, Michael Carter is the perfect running back that you take on day three. I'm happy in hindsight now if what they're saying is true that they made the trade and didn't take him at 86 or 66, like was certainly reported. Like, he's a fine running back. I think he's got good vision. I think that's really good for the scheme. I think he's got juice, but I don't think he's a burner. Like, I think what he ran, what he run, like, 448 or 45 flat on his pro day, that seems about right. I think Michael Carter can be your lead back in a committee, but you never want to give that guy 25 touches a game. What really intrigues me about Michael Carter is I think he's has some in the receiving game. I think he's kind of got some untapped potential and I kind of want to see if they want to split him out wide and try to do some things with him in those bunch formations or putting him in the slot and see what he can do from there. Cause I still like Ty Johnson. And if we have Ty Johnson and we have Michael Carter and then we have Tevin Coleman kind of like being that veteran in the room, that, that voice helping those guys out. 
I, like this is what you do with running backs. You don't spend premium resources on them. You have the veterans there to lead them, and you really on your offensive line, and you lead on your scheme because a lot of running game scheme comes from the offensive line coach who is the run game coordinator and John Benton. So I'm really excited to see what he can do with them. Yeah, I like Carter too, and I think I, he was my running back four. Um, I think that he starts from week one. Um, I think that you you have a good system, and you mentioned John Benton, but I think also just – all he has to do is hit that hit 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 the outside, right? Once Becton and Vera Tucker clear clear the way for him. And I think you're talking about he's got some home run potential there. Um, I will also say that it is interesting because when the Jets lost out on the number one pick and everybody was saying, like, oh, well, how do you hire any head coach now? Right. And then when Urban Meyer took the Jags job, everybody was like, Well, see, if you had the number one pick, you could have hired Urban Meyer. Yeah, if we would have hired Urban Meyer, we probably would have drafted Travis Etienne at 23. <laughs> so bullet dodged, right? Uh, Joe, I want to go to you. Tell me what your thoughts are on Michael Carter in this offense. Well, I've, you know, I haven't been shy about the fact that I thought that the backfield as presently constructed prior to Michael Carter was putrid, that it was grim. Um, I think Tevin Coleman is one of the most overrated running backs in the entire NFL. I do like him, but he's overrated. Even when he was with the 49ers, he ended up being the third option there in that running back by committee behind Breda and Mostert. Last year, he was injured, so he is injury prone. I love that they brought in Michael Carter. He's perhaps the best receiving back in this entire draft class after Najee Harris. I think he has a chance to be the lead back in this running back by committee. And I think the Jets hit a home run with this pick right here. Yeah. And just so you guys know, James hates running back. So he's not going to get to talk during this segment, but let's go to the, re to the rest of this draft class. Um, and let's start with the other Michael Carter, who I will, I'll be honest. Uh, and I'm going to bring James in to light this damn thing on fire. I did not like, I did not like uh, the only picks that I liked after Michael Carter first were Hamza, Right. And the big boy that ran the, the four, the four, eight at 310 pounds, the D tackle. <laughs> I did not care for any of the other ones. Jason Pinnock. I'm like, all right, maybe you'll be something, but I did not care for the rest. And Joe Douglas continues to underwhelm me in the, in the second part of the draft. Like, I'm just like, come on guys, I would have gone a different route, but I do think Hams is going to be a starter, but James, I want to go to you because I know you have a lot to say about these three swings for these three athletes uh, who can't cover worth a damn, but let's hear what you got to say. Yeah, I mean, I got a little bit of pushback on Twitter for sharing my thoughts on, on the DVs that the Jets took on day three. I mean, basically, I think the bottom line is like for Michael Carter, for Brandon Eccles, for Jason Pinnock, uh, for Jamie and Sherwood, those were all reaches. Um, nobody was projecting them in that range. Half of those players were projected pro free agents. Um, you did not need to spend fifth round picks on those people. I generally understand the strategy of, you know, throwing three darts at corner and hoping one lands. But um, I think there were ways in which you could have gotten a better player or you could have, you know, spent those picks more wisely. I mean, I think obviously DA, you and I are on the same page here. The Hamza pick was killer. Um, I think Hamza is extremely good. Obviously his health is trash, but that's the reason why you're getting him in the sixth round and not in the second round where he would go if he weren't injured. Um, so overall, like I think day three was fine. Michael Carter, solid pick Hamza, good pick uh, the defensive tackle, fine pick, but the rest I did not care for at all. Yeah. And I, and somebody had said, so, and you know, to, to the point about Hamza, Hamza was Connor Rogers' 72nd ranked player, uh, you know, which I, I was definitely like, I was like, wow, I, was like, I guess James, because James and I spoke about Hamza maybe like 
two months ago, right? And and I was like, man, nobody's talking about him. Nobody likes him or whatever. Um, and then and then I saw and then I saw in the Badlands draft guide, Connor had him higher, and I was like, oh, I was like, okay, so that I, at the very least, we're not going crazy. I think, right? Uh, Joe, I want to ask you. What were your thoughts on the on just the the day three swings? Because again, you could have gone different routes, and and I talked to Meigs about this. You know, I understand the the strategy of investing in athletes, but I would have preferred if they would have used some of the like two of those picks, investing on an athlete on the offensive line, investing on an athlete at tight end or something like that. Right? And I know that they signed Kenny Yoba, who I really liked at, at UDF as a UDFA, but it's also like you could have sign Jason Nichols or Jason Pinnock as a UDFA and just drafted Kenny Yoba, right? Um, so I just, I, there's, there, there were some questions for me that, and now this is two drafts with Joe Douglas that his day three picks, I leave, I scratch my head a, a few times and I'm like, I don't understand what this is. And clearly it's not an Adam Gase thing because Adam Gase is gone. So Joe, what are your thoughts on the day three picks outside of Michael Carter one? Well, we don't really know what these guys are going to turn out to be like. It's so hard to, to judge them, right? I, to be, I'm going to be honest with the listeners. I didn't review a lot of these guys. I didn't review Michael Carter. I didn't re- review Jason Pinnock. You know, I didn't review Jamie and Sherwood. The Jamie and Sherwood pick, I am a little optimistic about because, you know, Salah is kind of this linebacker coach, a linebacker whisperer. And so if he saw something in him, I'm going to be optimistic that he could turn into something. I think that Hamza was a great pick. We've all been super high on this kid. He could play single high. He could play in the box. I think he's going to probably find a permanent home as a weak side linebacker. This guy comes down like a heat-seeking missile in the run game. I mean, he's like one of the most exciting players you could watch on film. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Jason Pinnock joins Jabari Zuniga for Meigs as one of those players that we don't really know if actually exist. You know, that could potentially happen. You know, I don't know. Hopefully not. Hopefully they saw something in him on film that, leads them to believe that he could be a viable starter or at the very least a special teams contributor, which I think Michael Carter second. I, I didn't review him, but I did look a little bit about him recently. And the guy's like not afraid to lay the wood in the, in the run game. He's a very physical player. He's a tough guy. So again, at the very least, he could be a special teams contributor, but you want him to come in and try to compete for that starting nipple role. But can he do that? That would be unbelievable because they don't have Ryan Poole. They don't really have anybody in that regard. I wouldn't be shocked actually if they kind of took a second look at Ryan Poole now though considering the way the draft broke. And I think they probably should, but yeah, I, I, I join your sentiments on, on these likes, these picks, you know, it's, it, I, I want to support them because my jets made those picks, but we, we really don't know at this point, you know, we're going to talk, we're going to be talking about them a lot, you know, in the next couple of months. So we'll see. Yeah. And I think now once that the draft is settled, I think you're right. I, I'm very interested to see if the jets try to add maybe a Melvin Ingram to give more, you know, even one more extra pass rusher. I know he was hurt last year, but if you wanted to go an extra pass rusher, I wonder if they do try to bring back Brian Poole now. Right. Because realistically, you know, and, and I understand folks who say that the pass rush is really going to help corners. I get that. But I still like, the 49ers had, you know, they had Richard Sherman and he got hurt last year, but they had Richard Sherman. They had a killer Witherspoon, right? Like at some point your corners have to be better than just, <laughs> than just out there. Right. And so I, I, I definitely, I, I wonder what Salah, Salah and Douglas do right now, because you could get Brian Poole, Casey Hayward signed with the Raiders. So he's off the market. I, I, there's nothing I want more than the Jets to not sign uh, uh, Steven Nelson, so I never have to hear his name again. Uh, you know, so I, I, I wonder what they're going to do. Joe, I'll go to you for one more thing before I go to Meeks, because Meeks loved all three of these dart throws at DB. He loved all of them, and I want to I give him a chance to sing their praises. Yeah, the one thing that's a real concern is that the Jets play nickel. I mean, they're going to play nickel probably like almost 70% of the time. I think the 49ers played 67% of the time last year. They need a nickel corner. They need a slot guy. So 
I am curious to see what they're going to do soon because they need to do something. That's for sure. Yeah, Meigs, go ahead because you love you. You were you were you you were in the Slack in the draft season Slack. Like, listen, guys, all three of these guys are future Hall of Famers. Like, these are guys that are gonna they should book their tickets to Canton now. I know you love them. Like, just sell folks on what this is because you did say that the strategy for you would be dart throws at athletes, which I think the Jets did. Sherwood aside, because Sherwood's testing numbers are really really bad. They were not good at all. Um, but the the three DBs are all athletes. They all you know ran really good forty times. Uh, just blazers right so let uh sell me on these on these three dbs yeah no i watched every pinnock uh snap from pittsburgh and yeah he's basically Darrell revis if you ask me no actually for day three of the draft i really don't think like people's strategy or process is just taking the best talent available because i think you're looking for the best talent for your scheme and robert sal has talked about his scheme but we don't really know and we can project like based on what we've seen from him when he coached but like that was all adapting to personnel. So I'm curious to see what that is. And I think that's what all day three of the draft was. Douglas's day three last year was for Greg Williams, who isn't coaching right now because his scheme sucks for Adam Gase, who's who isn't coaching right now because. Did we lose Meeks? No. Oh my oh, God. No. He, was Meeks, on a, he was on a roll right there. Meeks, Meeks was about to really just like set this whole thing on fire. With, yeah, with, Greg Williams definitely just shut down his wife. <laughs> Greg Williams said, this is enough. We don't need to hear that anymore. Yeah, but I mean, because I, I, I know where Meeks is going. I, I, I think his, his stuff, has, although I will say, and, and I want your, your thoughts on this, guys. Um, Jeff Ulbrich is, is the defensive coordinator and not just a defensive coordinator by name. Like he's actually going to call plays for this defense. Um, and Joe, so I'll go to you because you had said something in the third episode of draft season. You had said that you wonder how many principals from the Atlanta Falcons uh, Ulbrich brings over, right? Because he took over as the D.C. after they fired Dan Quinn. And the Falcons also played a lot of nickel, less than San Francisco, but they were also in nickel a lot. Like, I think I think their percentage was like 51% or 52%, something like that. Uh, so with that said, because you're talking about a base of, you know, maybe a 4-2-5, right, or a 4-1-6, uh, I, I think you need Brian Poole here to at least lock down one of the corner spots and then Bryce had to lock down the other. But now you got these three neophytes. Would you add another veteran too, or would you try to see which of these three kids can win it? Win it? Also with Bless Austin, who James hates and who is awful, uh, it, do you, would you put stock into any of these young kids uh, potentially winning one of these outside roles? I mean, they could, but it's a long shot. I mean, they definitely need to add a veteran. You know, even, even weak side linebacker, I like what I could see what Homsa could do. But weak side linebacker is a position on this team that is a three down back. They play in the base, they play in the nickel. And they didn't really address that either. So there are a couple of holes there. And then, of course, again, corner. Like, we don't know what's going to happen with corner. There are definitely a lot more holes on this defense that I'm comfortable with. But listen, what Salah did last year in regard to how well they did when they had all those injuries, right? So he, he kind of knows how to scheme and how to, you know, work things around injuries and, I guess, lesser talent. So I, in that regard, I'm feeling, again, a little optimistic. I don't want to be a Jets homer, but absolutely, absolutely on paper, they need to do something for sure, DA, 100%. Yeah. And you know what? And you make a really good point because now who would have thought coming out of the draft that the offense would have less holes than the defense, right? Because, because, because you've addressed that one of the guard positions, right? You get McGovern back. Fant, you know, and James, you mentioned this. Fant could be better in the system, but he also wasn't bad last year. Right, but he's athletic enough to play in the system. You have three wide receivers. He wasn't great, Joe, but he wasn't bad either. Right? He was. He was. He wasn't terrible. Uh, although I will say, like again, the the odds of him being 
competent going forward. He was not very good in Seattle. He was not very good in Seattle. Meigs, Greg Williams, shut off your internet, and, and we, we defended your honor. But <laughs> finish your point about how you know Robert Tavok, Joe Douglas was drafting for a terrible scheme and Greg Williams and a terrible scheme for Adam Gase. Yeah, no, I think that's what day three of the draft is about. Like, And I don't think with Greg, with Adam Gase's scheme, I'm still trying to figure out what it is. Like, I don't know. It's kind of, to me, it's like Bigfoot. Like, it doesn't exist. I don't know. I think people have said they've seen it, but I really have no idea what it is. It's basically just what Peyton Manning wanted to do, and he's been writing that ever since. And Greg Williams is just an antiquated guy who likes doing zero blitzes and putting guys in one-on-one situation where they play press man. And when you put a UDFA against a first-round talent like Henry Ruggs and press man, you're going to get burned a lot. So that's what, like, that's why I'm cautiously optimistic about Robert Sala's scheme is a lot of zone. And I just think to develop younger players along where you don't have to give them that responsibilities, you're going to be playing a lot of two high safeties and it's really going to help out those corners plus with the added pass rush. So, and also the most consistent thing about the jets the past four years has been Brant Boyer. And a lot of these guys have a lot of special team snaps and that unit getting back to what it was and really helping out on the punt game. Like how many dumb special teams, mistakes did we see that cost the jets so i really like for me day three of the draft if you find one starter every two drafts you're probably good at your job and if yeah. the worst thing you can do is risking like for a gm if you're complaining about his day three picks he's probably really good at his job and if that's the case with joe douglas and that's what we have to do every year is nitpick rounds five to seven i'm gonna be a happy guy yeah, and I will say that if you are one of the big brain folks who said that Adam Gase's scheme would be good, understand that we will never take you seriously, okay? Um, but I will say, too, that Joe Douglas now two drops in. He's found six starters, seven starters, sorry. Bryce Hall, Denzel Mims, Makai Becton. I think we lost you there, Dalvin. I think you're talking about Ashton Davis right now and a couple of other guys, right? Who else we got starters? Who, who do you see? Who do you think is going to be a starter from well, this? Well, Zach game? Wilson, we hope is starting. Oh, I certainly I hope so, yeah. James Morgan, who is who Connor Hughes called a sec, a coach on the roster. We spent he a did. fourth round pick for a coach on the roster. That's all I got. He did. Say. He did. But again, finding seven starters in two rounds—that's not in two drafts. That's not bad. If you do that, you'll be a GM for a really, really long time, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we go, because we have not begun our work for 2022 yet, but. Meigs and I have already identified who our 2022 draft crushes are. There's a pass rusher from Oregon and a cornerback who is Baby Revis. That is who we are rocking with, right? So we want you guys to get to know the name of Derek Stingley and King Kayvon. I need you to understand the name. Get it now because I don't want to hear any nonsense in a year about like, oh, my God, I have no idea who they like. But you guys can uh, – we, we officially launched the draft season website as part of TOJ. It's draft-season.com. Uh, you will find all of our work pertaining to the draft going forward on, on, on TOJ, but you can click through to the draft season site. You'll see big boards going forward, audio. You'll see player recaps, things like that, uh, you know, things that we're going to continue to give you. We have about four episodes left in this season, then we will take a break. We will break for summer vacation. No Greece reference there. Nobody is going to beauty school. Um, but we're going to take some time off, and then we'll be back in the fall when the college season kicks off for real. Joe, I will go to you as we wrap. Give me one one word that describes how you are feeling right now about the Jets now that the draft has passed, and we are approximately four months away from kicking this thing off uh, for real, for real. Hopeful. James, aside from taking the machete to the day three DBs, what is one word that you are feeling now that the draft is finished? Excited. Meeks, James Morgan aside, 
how are you feeling about 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 the Jets now as we we're th- three and a half four months away from kicking this thing off? Honestly, shocked. I've never I, felt this way about a Jets team. Like they could actually be fun, and the Jets have never been fun in my life. So I don't I w- know how to feel. I will say that the last time that I felt like, wow, we have competence at the helm was with Eric Mangini. And that was a really long time ago. Uh, you know, because I, I, again, like we've talked about this before, Rex Ryan really ate off of Eric Mangini's players. Like that's, that's really what he did. Um, but guys, thank you so much for listening, rocking with us. We had 52,000 downloads from January to last week, which was the last week of April, 52,000 downloads. Understand that that is insanely impressive for a draft-centric for a draft-centric pod that usually has to start in October because the Jets suck. We're going to start in October this year because the hope is they're not going to suck. Um, but I, you know, again, I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out my, you know, my compadres James, Joe, and Meigs. We busted our ass this year to bring you exciting Jets draft content, and we will continue to do that. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will be back next week.